one, an excitement about the future. Because I think, you know, especially right now, the future seems a little scary because the <laughs> present is pretty scary, right? Mm-hmm. But I think they feel armed and equipped to handle their future, whatever comes their way. And so I've heard from parents like months later and just say, you know, my kid has stopped asking me to buy every tiny little thing, or at least they understand when I tell them no, that that's not a good choice. You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now, here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with my co-host, Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. It's funny because I've been chasing my kids around the house. You know, we've all been home for the last, I don't even know how long, six, seven months now. And I've been chasing my kids around the house every day, morning till night, asking them to turn the lights off. Do you you have that experience at your house? Oh, no. My kids are so good. They turn all the lights off. They put away all their toys without asking. Oh, my goodness. It's just like following. I always know when my where my kids are. I just have to look around and see where the lights are on. And then I'll walk over there. And if the lights aren't on or if the light is on, but they're not in there, then I know somebody was there and I'll call them over and I'm like, who left the light on? And all of a sudden I'll hear pitter patter running over to come turn the light off, you know, but it's just so funny because on the show today, we had a guest and we talked about this very thing about, you know, helping our children understand expenses in the home and introducing the idea of sharing business with them, sharing income with them, and really trying to help them understand finances. And so I actually did just that after this episode, I went and (laughs) talked with my kids about the light bill. And I told them the electricity bill, I told them that I was going to share that with them so that they could put, you know, the idea and the request of turning off the lights to an actual concern, which is a bill that you get at the end of every month. So I thought that was such a good thing that we talked about on the show today today. So yeah, there's so much about money, especially early on in life. That's so abstract. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember being little and my parents telling me the same thing, turn off the light. It costs money. Mm -hmm. I'm like, where does the money go? Like, (laughs) what do you mean? Like, I don't understand. Right. Um, But our, our guest today is Kelly Calderon and she is the creator of the smart money Academy. And what I love about her story is that she she walks the talk. She started mm-hmm. off by she and her husband really getting into a lot of credit card debt. Mm-hmm. And then they one day they woke up and they realized oh, we can't live this way. And so they went through Financial Peace University and they did the hard work of pay, paying off. I think she said what, like $80,000 80, in two yeah, years, yeah. in two years. Mm-hmm. And then she turns around and she starts to give back and teach other people first adults. And then she realized her mm-hmm passion was in teaching kids, which is why Mm -hmm. this was such a fun Uh episode because we got to pick her brain about all these little tips and tricks for how to really help um, the next generation and our kids to really understand this abstract concept of money. And one thing that she said that stuck with me was 
to tell your kids your story, your money story mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. how you, how we started to save and to build wealth and to invest. I think our kids these days, they only see the lessons of what we're doing right now. They mm-hmm. see like we've bought a house and yep. we invest and we talk about those things. Yeah. But I think our kids these days, they don't see the struggles with, you know, that my husband and I had in our 20s mm-hmm. where we were eating spaghetti every day and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sleeping on the floor like so it's important for them to understand that journey yeah and I loved how she brought that home really talking about how once they become teenagers so you and I aren't really there yet but it was interesting because she said once they become teenagers and they're almost about to leave the home that they feel this need to keep up with the lifestyle that they had assuming that they had a great lifestyle at home which I mean in all honesty my kids have it pretty good, you know, and that telling them, showing them that we all have to start from somewhere and that they don't have to just immediately fall into this lifestyle of, you know, everything that we were able to give them and that it's okay to start somewhere and how, you know, when you give kids credit cards and their teens that they can actually turn into, you know, very reckless spenders because they're used to this life that they had with you living under mom and dad's roof and now have to go and start to build their own life. And so actually after that's another thing, after this episode, I went and talked with my kids and I said, you know, it wasn't always this way for mommy and daddy. And I talk a lot about, you know, my childhood for me when I was growing up, but I didn't talk about really about how, you know, where my husband and I started and where we came from and how things, how we got to where we are now to be able to give them everything we have. And so, so many, we talked about so much as, as mothers and as parents and, you know, the things we should and shouldn't be saying to the kids. One of another cool thing we talked about at what age, I think you had asked Mm -hmm. the question at what age is it a good age to introduce credit cards? And, you know, she talked about the idea of needing to have cash for younger kids. And, you know, while cash may be going away. I don't know how soon, but as we move into more of this digital world and lifestyle that we live in, it may not be so relevant. But what cash does it is is it allows children, I think, to really touch and hold something and really feel like, what is a dollar and what can I buy with this and really start to understand? Because when we show them on a screen, their bank account balance, they have no idea of like what that means. But when you bring in the suitcases of the dollars, like suddenly it becomes very (laughs) real. Not that I'm doing that, but you know. (laughs) So yeah, we just, it was such a great conversation with so many great nuggets as for us as mothers and investors and with young children that we're trying to, you know, help them understand finances. Absolutely. And I think for both you and I, we didn't discover real estate syndications and passive investing until multiple years into our investing journey. Um, And it's something that, you know, everybody discovers at a different time. But for all of our listeners out there, if you are new to the world of real estate syndications and passive investing, there's no better place to start than with our book, Investing for Good. And you can get your own free hardcover copy. Just text the word book to 41404 and you'll get all of the details there. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into our conversation with Kelly Calderon. (laughs) 
Kelly, welcome to the show. How are you? I am good. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Oh, we are super excited to have you here. Now, Kelly, through the Smart Money Academy, your mission is to equip the next generation with the tools and the know-how to care for themselves financially, build wealth, and make an impact on the world. So I cannot tell you how thrilled Julie and I are to talk to you today because everything that you do is what we are all about as well. We're so excited to share your message with our listeners because we're passionate about everything that you're passionate about as well. I mentioned before we started recording, between the two of us, Julie and I have five kids. She has three and I have two and they're all under 10. And so we're always talking about different ways to teach them about money and investing and building wealth. We can't wait to hear what you have to say. So I would love to start by having you tell us about your journey. How did you get into this and why is it so important to you? All right. So it started way back when my husband and I were dating. Our favorite date night was to take our credit cards and go shopping. And (laughs) (laughs) really silly us. Yes. So between the credit cards and student loans, because we were in college at the time, and then a car payment, and it just all got to be too much. We were living paycheck to paycheck for many, many years. And it got to be, it was just out of hand. We ended up with a bankruptcy. We ended up with a car repossession. And we were still, years after that, still paycheck to paycheck. Stress was unbelievable. And we just, we had to wake up and say, like, this is our fault. This is our making. This is our mess to clean up. And so we really just had to have a whole total mindset shift. We had to really change our habits. We started working towards paying off debt. We paid off $80,000 of debt in two years. Wow. And it, we have not looked back. <laughs> it's been a huge, huge life change. So other than our mortgage, we're totally debt free and have been for many years now. And so that it just kind of became our passion to make sure that our own kids didn't follow in our footsteps, to be talking to them daily about, you know, this, these are the mistakes we made and this is how you avoid this mistake. And just to set them up in a totally different way, you know, than we had started. Mm-hmm. So that was where that started. Um, that was kind of that personal finance journey that got me, you know, interested in personal finance. And then on the other side of that, I was a classroom teacher for 20 years. And because of our situation, despite the fact that I wanted to leave my job and I was kind of ready to pivot, I couldn't, I was absolutely stuck because we needed every penny that we could bring in. And so being out of debt gave us, you know, the freedom and gave me the freedom to go ahead and leave that job and start to pivot and change a little bit. I originally started coaching adults how to get out into debt and things like that. But what I found out was really, I loved talking to them about how to work with their kids. That was where the excitement was for me. When, when you're working with adults, cleaning up a mess, you know, it's a very different mindset than giving kids excitement and hope for the future. And so really, I just took that classroom experience and the personal finance experience and pivoted into the Smart Money Academy and just working with kids that way. I'm curious, what did your parents teach you about money, if anything, when you were growing up? You know, I'm sure they probably tried. (laughs) I don't remember any money lessons. You know, I do, there was a lot of money struggles. And so, but there was probably some, you know, not wanting to talk about it. There was definitely times that we were struggling. I know there were times that they struggled to even get food into the house for us. And so there was probably, there was a lot of pain around that subject. So I'm sure it wasn't brought up very much. Yeah. So it must've been very freeing when you got that credit card and you were like, I could put anything on this. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We went a little crazy. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you started working with adults and then quickly learned that you had a passion for working with kids, which makes sense given all your teaching experience. And so how did you, what were you teaching kids? What were some of the common things that you saw when you were working with children around money? So the program is about half game-based and half mini lessons, if you will. So throughout the game, they have to earn a paycheck, quote unquote, earn a paycheck. And I make them do really stupid stuff. And they're like, this is dumb. And I'm like, you know what? Go ask mom and dad if they have to do dumb stuff at work, because I bet you they do. <laughs> and they always come back, oh my gosh, my parents said yes. And I'm like, ah, I figured. So they, they have to earn their paycheck, and then they go pay their bills. And they have very little left, because that's the way most of us live, right? Most Americans live that there's nothing left at the end of the month. So they get a little taste of that. But eventually, we start to talk about how to lower those expenses and how to raise their income. And they get to start earning passive income by investing. And they get to invest either in real estate, stock market, or business. And so they win, quote unquote, win the game when their passive income is enough to cover their expenses. And that's really when the light bulb goes off. They're like, wait, I don't have to work, you know? And so I give them, I'm like, who's got enough money for their expenses? And they said, I do. And I was like, okay, are you going to work? And they're like, well, I don't know what's the job this month? So they, <laughs> they you know, they, they're like, this, these jobs can be really stupid. It depends on what it is. And so that's the exciting part is when that light bulb goes off and they're like, wait, so passive income means that I don't have to work my whole life. That's very exciting. Wow. That's something that, man, I, I don't think I was even introduced to that term passive income until I was at least in my 20s. I mean, to learn about it as a kid, man, you were giving these kids such a big head start in oh, life and to use games. I remember because I started my career as a classroom teacher as well. I taught fourth grade, but just for a couple of years. And I remember the impact of games in the classroom. So I actually left to go study game design so I could make educational <laughs> games. And that is so cool to hear that you've created this game, this simulation that so much mirrors what we adults struggle with in real life. But you're giving kids the opportunity to really step into it and to really experience it early on in life before they make these catastrophic mistakes to their finances later. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And between the rounds, again, we do little mini lessons, compound interest, assets and liabilities, appreciation, depreciation. So they come away with a really good vocabulary. And it's exciting Mm -hmm. to them because they're learning all these adult concepts and these adult words, Mm -hmm. and they're being treated as an adult and they love it. They embrace every minute of it. So I'm curious really quick to go back to your story. You had said that it took like a really big mindset shift for you to get from where you were to where you are now and that you had paid off your debt $80,000 in two years. Wow. (laughs) So what did you do? Did you take a class? Did you read a book? Like what helped you get from, you know, the place that you were at to to getting to that point where you were able to shift that mindset, because I feel like that's one of the things that so many people, you know, struggle with, right? Because you have a way of thinking about the way the world is and the way money works. And it's so hard for people to shift the mindset from, hey, I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to work anymore. I could invest in real estate or I can invest in the stock market and maybe not work. It's just so hard for people to wrap their head around that. So how do, what did you do? What were the, some of the things that you did to to help you? I think the first step was getting real with our numbers. I think we had our head in the sand and we didn't want to know, you know, we knew we didn't have enough money, but we didn't really know where we stood. 
Mm-hmm. And so when we sat and looked at the student loans and looked at like, we hadn't really made, we'd paid on them for years, but hadn't made any progress, mm-hmm. right? Because the interest mm-hmm. level is so high that you're <laughs> paying next to nothing on the principal. It, it was heartbreaking. And, yeah. and then, you know, we had embraced some of the myths, like you have to have a car payment your whole life and you have to work your whole life. And so we ended up doing Financial Peace University through Dave Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Just not only the class, but staying like constantly listening to the podcast and hearing about people winning and hearing about people being successful kept us there. You know, there were people who were in much worse uh, conditions than we were in mm-hmm. and they did it. So we mm-hmm. knew we could do it, but we had to keep motivated and keep plugged in to, to stay that way. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. We had another guest um, on the show who talked about that, that she had gone through that. And she actually now gives her residents at her apartment building access to that Financial Peace University in an effort to not only help them, but also to make sure that they pay their rent and that they're yeah. responsible. <laughs> so it's really it, smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, do, have you invested in all like real estate and stocks and all the different things that you teach? And and if you have, how did you get into that? So most of our investment right now is in the stock market. That was a kind of a nice, small, safe way to start. Obviously, my business is an investment, mm-hmm. <laughs> so building yeah. that. And then we are in the you know it, kind of in negotiations right now. My husband and I are talking about getting into real estate and what that would look like for us, and where you know what kind of things we would want to get into. Exciting. Exciting. (laughs) I still remember going to my financial advisor a couple, actually many years ago now and asking them, what is the next step, right? I've Mm -hmm. paid off all my debts. I've done all the things that you're supposed to do. And what is the next step? Not one, not one ever told me, Hey, you should look at buying some real estate. And I kind of fell, you know, fell into and stumbled upon it by accident. And, and then, you know, here I am now years later and, uh, you know, loving it, but in a very exciting place because you're at yes. a place where you can start exploring different different asset classes. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. I love that. So tell us more about maybe some of the things that, so are you actually working with the students in a classroom setting, like a virtual Zoom session, or is it just like recorded courses or what does the course actually look like? So I've got kind of three ways to attack this. First one is for the younger ones, ages nine to 15-ish. I prefer to be in person. I do in person as much as I can, obviously, right now, not very possible. Um, So I do have a Zoom version. It's shorter, though, because, you know, the full version is like 12 to 15 hours. And no kid can do 12 to 15 hours on Zoom. (laughs) It's just asking too much. But yeah, with the younger ones, it needs to be live. They need that live interaction. They need to be able to ask questions. They need to be able to hear the kids next to them asking questions and, Uh you know, either winning or struggling or so they really thrive in that environment. For teens, I have a teen class. I tried to do it live and that didn't go very well because trying to get a bunch of teens into the same room at the same time on the same day is like Uh nailing jello to the wall. So I went ahead and I made that an online video course. And so that's self-paced. They do that on their own and they can handle that as teens. I miss seeing them and working with them, but it suits them better and their lifestyle better. Mm -hmm. And then um, I work with parents too. I can do parent, I do parenting seminars. I have a a short parenting class that's uh, video based, but just, so I try to attack it from three different levels and, you know, get them, meet them where they are basically. Yeah. 
And how do how do students usually find you and the courses that you offer? Is it like kids who are like super curious about money and they want to like start their own business and then their parents find you? Or is it parents who, you know, maybe made some mistakes themselves and wanted something better, want something better for their kids? Or is it schools? How does how do those connections happen? So I'm independent. I do offer sometimes through Parks and Rec, but So I tend to, let's see, some of the kids are excited to be there. It was their idea. They saw my name in a catalog or, you know, I do summer camp expos, things like that. Some of the kids are just, you know, my mom told me I have to be here. Some are very begrudging about it. I don't, my parents said I have to come or they get all very grumpy about it. And I always tell the parents, it's okay. Just wait till, wait till the compound interest lesson. Because that's when they really like click in. They're like, oh my gosh, wait, I can start today and I can, you know, because I call it the easy, cheap way to become a millionaire. And so they, they're very excited about that. But so I, I always get them all by the end, usually. I tend to attract a lot of entrepreneurial parents, actually, because mm-hmm. I think that they are very visionary and they know the power of knowing how to, you know, manage your money and they see what's coming down the road for their kids. And so I I tend to attract a lot of entrepreneurial parents that way. Yeah, mm, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, we talk to our, I have two boys, they're seven and four, and we talk to them all the time about money and investing and do things make sense. You know, my, my older son, who's seven, almost eight now, the last couple of days, he's been making a little carnival at home. Like he's taken old, like he's got an egg carton where you like throw things in it and then you win certain <laughs> prizes. And then he's got like a waste paper bin where you throw like you toss paper balls in and you win certain things and I asked him I'm like why did you do this he's like it's an investment and he's like for because for each thing you have to pay it's it's like pennies to play but each one costs like two pennies five you know a nickel and you can win some money through it too but he's like well, but it's an investment because if you pay more, the chances of you winning are lower. And then, you know, so I think by teaching kids these concepts early, you really give them time before they have the weight and the responsibility of adulthood Mm -hmm. to really Mm -hmm. experiment and to play around with it and to really make it their own. Absolutely. One of the big things I tell parents is that kids need to have access to money and kind Mm -hmm. of uncontrolled access in a way like, they're going to go buy something really stupid. I say, counsel them, you know, just talk to them and say, I'm not sure that toy's going to last very long, but if they still want it, please let them go buy it. Mm-hmm. Let them make the mistakes now because I'd rather they do it now with $5 or even $20 than mm-hmm. in the future with their rent money or a credit card or something like that. I think we all have to make a certain number of mistakes and doing it young mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or practicing being an entrepreneur young is so helpful and gives them such an advantage. So tell us more about that. So you get, you get, how many, how many students are typically in one of your classes? Like let's say the Um, nine to 15 class. Probably about 15 to 20. Okay. So 15, let's say there's 20 students. So they come in and then you start this simulation, this game, and then you give them all jobs and paychecks. And then what are some of the, I imagine that early on you let them sort of, you know, figure things out and explore. What are some of the common mistakes that you see them make or things that they're doing with their money? So the big one I see often is the savers. 
that don't ever want to invest. <laughs> and so, so they never actually win the game because they never get any passive income. And they, you know, they're so proud of themselves because they're like, I've got this much in savings. But then they're kind of confused because their neighbor doesn't have to go to work. And so, <laughs> so that's probably the number one mistake I see is that they're playing it too safe with their money. I keep, I, I teach them to keep some money in their savings because we have these little event cards and sometimes these accidents happen or whatever and they need to have some cash on hand. But some of them take it a little too far and they're afraid to invest. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny, right? Because isn't that so true in life, right? And what we see in what we do as well. And people, and, and that's what we've been taught. And that's what I was taught is, you know, all I was really ever taught about money was just to save, you know, it's <laughs> like, that's it. And, and it was always, I was always left with the question of, well, what, what next? Like, okay, so I'm sitting on this pile of money. Now what? Like I'm supposed to be happy and free and all the things, but I'm not. So what next? And so I love that your course teaches the other, you know, the what next, the investing, because without the investing, all you will ever have is that little mountain of money that you have. And if you don't learn to grow it, it will, it's actually shrinking, right? And mm -hmm. we, because of inflation, we know that if that money just sits in your bank for the next 50 years, you're actually actually losing money. And so it's, I love that, love that you go, you go into that and, you know, because it's just something that I think even as adults, we struggle with, you know, real, not understanding that there's another piece beyond just saving. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I love that. And I, and I love that you bring the passive income and you said like the light bulb really goes on for them because I know that was the case for me as well. Annie, you mentioned you learned about passive income maybe in your 20s. I don't even think I learned, knew that passive income even like real passive income now, you know, existed until not even that long ago. And when I made that first investment and actually had my money going out there and working for me, the epitome of, mm -hmm. you know, money working for you and creating these passive income streams was for me, you know, in this late age of adulthood, I feel like where, you know, the light bulb went on for me. And so to be able to have the kids go through this game where that light bulb goes on at such a young age is just incredible. Well, how old were your kids when you started your business? Uh, let's see. One was 14, so they would have been 14 and 9. 14 and 9, okay. And then what, and so that's, the, is that the age ranges that you teach is like the youngest would be 9? Yeah, it, they need to have some really good math skills to, I mean, there's not a ton of math, but to figure out their expenses and their income and all of that, they need to have a certain amount of math skills in place. Okay. Okay. Got it. I'll have to, I'll take note of that. My oldest daughter turns nine in February. So <laughs> that stuff is pretty abstract too. The whole compound interest, it's very yeah. abstract. So mm -hmm. yeah, a little older mm -hmm. helps. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that because you mentioned compound interest is like, you, you said, wait till the compound interest lesson. And, you know, compound interest is something that a lot of adults can't even wrap mm -hmm. their minds around. So how do mm -hmm. you explain that concept to children? So I start with kind of the old poster of the guy who starts investing at 18, right? And he invests for seven years. And then his friend starts at 27 and she invested all the way to 65. And I always made the kids guess who comes out ahead. And they're always like, oh, the other lady, because she invested more money and she invested more time. And I'm like, eh, you are wrong. And <laughs> so this blows their minds, right? So then I've really got their attention. And then we do the penny a day scenario, just to show them the power of compounding, you know, that. If I put, if I find a bank, you know, pretend bank, obviously, that gives me 100% interest compounded every single day. And so we kind of walk through that. What does that look like at 15 days? 
What does that look like at 30 days? And it blows their minds that it's at $5 million at 30 days. And all I put in was a penny. Mm. So that really hooks them. And then I back up and I say, okay, now let's talk real life. Mm-hmm. Like, what does a percentage look like in real life? You know, how could this really be done in real life? But you still come out, if you start young, you know, mm-hmm. you can still come out with well more than a thousand, or a million dollars. And mm-hmm. so they are very hooked and very excited at that point. We'll get back to our conversation with Kelly in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid, like we were, that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Kelly Calderon. That's incredible. Yeah, I remember when all the shelter in place stuff went into effect. My, I sat my older son down and I said, you know, the Zoom call, you know, he was struggling with the Zoom calls. So I said, well, let's take this opportunity to do some financial literacy. He's always been interested in money. And I remember one book that we picked up was, I think it was called From a Hundred, How to Turn a Hundred Dollars into a Million Dollars. I'm sure you're familiar, but it's the same concept, right? They talk about, well, all you need to do is save that first hundred dollars. And he's like, yes, I want to do that. He's like, yeah, I want to, I have a hundred dollars. Tell me how to just snap my fingers and turn that into a million dollars. But I remember through that book and through Robert Kiyosaki's Escape the Rat Race, after we read those, I remember, you know, we've been talking to him for years about saving versus spending versus investing. And we closed the book. And the first thing he does is go over to his money jars and he takes everything out of the spend jar and puts it right into the save jar. And he's like, I get it now. You got to save first. And I'm like, yes, thank you. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. We talk a lot about savings, but obviously talk about the importance of, of, you know, passive income too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. important. So when kids go through your course and then when they graduate from your course, so to speak, mm-hmm. what, what are some of the outcomes that they can expect, that parents can expect? How does the, your course sort of change the trajectory of their lives? I think it just gives them 
one, an excitement about the future. Because I think, you know, especially right now, the future seems a little scary because the <laughs> present is pretty scary, right? Mm-hmm. But I think they feel armed and equipped to handle their future, whatever comes their way. And so I've heard from parents like months later and just say, you know, my kid has stopped asking me to buy every tiny little thing, or at least they understand when I tell them no, that that's not a good Mm -hmm. choice. I had one parent who went back, her daughter was 12 and she had started investing. She had just bought several stocks. She was tracking them every day. And she just said, you know, I had, that they had found a passion in her that they didn't know was there before. And so that was exciting to me that, that maybe there's a career path there that, they weren't aware of, you know, mm-hmm. or it's just, it's very exciting. Just to, I hear from parents later on that the spending habits have changed. The askings have changed and the kids mm-hmm. are a lot more understanding that, you know, and one of the things we talk about is retirement and mm-hmm. that we don't want to be dependent on the government for retirement mm-hmm. and that we don't want our kids to be dependent or we don't want to be dependent on our kids for retirement. And so they kind of understand that if my parents are taking care of themselves financially, they won't be asking me for money later down the road either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's helpful too, that they see it that way. I think that's so great. I'm such a believer that we need to help people learn how to depend on themselves rather than depending on other people for help, i.e. the government. (laughs) And the more we keep helping them, when will they ever be given the chance to learn about how to help themselves and then how to help their children and so on and so on and so on all the way down the line. It's like a, it's such a problem. And so I love that you're, that that's a part of it because I think that's so important that people need to stop, you know, walking around with their hand out and really asking, what can I do to help myself and to help my family to live a better life? Not who can I ask to live a better life? And so I love that that's yeah. something. What, if you were, I wanted to ask this question. If you were to tell when you're working with parents and as a mom, I'm coming to you, what would be kind of like the top three things you would share with me about, you know, things I should or shouldn't be saying to my kids about money and things that they should be thinking about? Yep. First one I talk about a lot is choices. We need to be modeling for our kids that money management is all about making choices. I can choose this, but it may not be the best choice for me later down the road. So I heard the saying once that, you know, we, the truth is we can buy everything. We just, I'm sorry, we can buy anything. We just can't buy everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to make some choices. I got to choose between paying my bills or investing or going out to dinner tonight. And so that's really important that we need to be talking through that and saying that often. Along with that goes, I hear parents often use the catchphrase, we can't afford it, right? When kids want something and the parent doesn't want to buy it, they automatically go back to, well, we can't afford it. Well, the truth is they probably can. They just don't want to. And it's Mm -hmm. easier to say that than to own it and say, you know what? That's, I'm not going to buy that today because that's not a good choice for us. Mm -hmm. That's not in our budget. That's not in the plan. And because then we have to take ownership of it and that's really hard, but our kids need to see that because they're going to have to make those choices someday and they're going to have to tell themselves no sometimes someday. And so we need to be modeling that now. That's my, my first one is choices. Next, I think I touched on this earlier. They've got to have access to cash. Um, They've got to be practicing managing that, making mistakes and, you know, trying to find good deals and all of those things. And the last one is for the older kids is we need to have some honest conversations. This, this one gets tough, but for our teens, we need to one, share our beginning stories. They need to hear what it was like when we started out 
and when we were struggling and when we had lawn furniture in the living room <laughs> and we were <laughs> we were driving that car that would break down every other day and you know they need to hear that stuff because what's happening is they're seeing the lifestyle that we're giving them now they don't yeah. realize mm-hmm. where you know the work and the time and the years that went into that and so when they get out into the world they feel like they're failing because they don't, they can't keep that up, and they end up reaching for credit cards or taking out debt and trying to fill that, you know, that void. And we don't want them to feel like failures. We want them to know that where you're at is normal, and that's okay, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely be sharing your beginning stories, and then also share your numbers with them. Share your bills. Share your income, because as older teens, again, this is for the older teens, but they need some reference points. They need to know that that job at Subway is not going to be enough mm-hmm. <laughs> to pay their bills. They need to know how, how much does electricity cost? What does our house cost? And so those things might be hard, but we definitely need to be sharing that with them. This is so, that's such good wisdom, especially I hadn't even thought about sharing our beginning story with our kids, but I'm definitely going to at some point because, you know, we definitely were sleeping on the floor, eating spaghetti every day, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) We went through that. But I I think I'd take it for granted because when I was growing up, similar to your journey, you know, my parents did struggle and I got to see that. Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I was in my twenties, I knew it was natural to have that. But our kids, fortunately, they haven't experienced that. Mm-hmm. They were born into this household where we have toys and we have electricity and all these nice things, good food, and they've never had to mm-hmm. know what it's like to have to struggle for food. Yeah, and so you know to share that with them, I think, is so important so that they know y- there's a journey. It's a journey. Mm-hmm. You don't just arrive. So yeah. I love that. Yeah. I feel like I talk often with my kids about how it was, what it was like for me growing up and the struggles I had, but I didn't, I never really told them about what it was like for my husband and I before they came along and, you know, how we had to cut back on so much and how we had to work really hard and work two jobs and save and save and save and then invest and invest. I never, I, I think they, I talk a lot about the now, the investing piece of it, but I don't mm-hmm. talk a lot about that, the early parts of my relationship with my husband and the struggles that were there. So yeah, definitely so many, Mm -hmm. so many good things and the sharing the bills and the income part of it. I think even with my eight-year-old, I think it would be so funny to show her because I keep telling them, I like walk around the house, like who left the light on? Stop (laughs) leaving the lights on. You guys are driving me crazy. And it's hard for them because I know my mom used to say the same thing to me, turn off the lights. And I didn't know what it meant. in in dollars and and money and and the whole, you know, you get a bill, you have to pay for it. The more the lights are on, the more this bill goes up. Like I never really understood that just from her telling me that. So I love that. And I I feel like the, you know, having honest conversations, you know, piece of it, like we said, you know, talking about what life was like earlier on and, you know, my situation the same. My kids are spoiled. They ask for sushi. We go on, you know, I want to stay at this hotel. Like, you know, it's like, oh my goodness what kind of kids am I raising? So, <laughs> so, so I love that. And I didn't like what you had mentioned about the, we can't afford it piece of it. And, you know, really just talking with your kids and explaining and taking the time to, to talk about it, I think is a big one and not just leaving it at that. Cause it's so easy to just say, well, we can't afford, 
supported and and hurry them along and and but there's so much that can be learned in that if you take the time to to kind of explain um, all of that. So so many golden nuggets here. Now, is there anything that we shouldn't be saying to our kids, or is there anything we shouldn't be talking about with our kids when it comes to money? Um, I you know. Just feel your kid out. Maybe they're not ready yet to hear your numbers or maybe they're going to go blab it at school and you're not ready for that, that sort of yeah. thing. But beyond that, I just, I really want to retouch on that we can't afford it thing because I want parents to understand that kids internalize that way differently than what you intend. Mm-hmm. What you're saying is that's not a good purchase. Mm-hmm. What they hear is many things, possibly we're not good. We're not lucky with money. You know, we can't afford new shoes if I need new shoes. Mm-hmm. we're struggling financially. So it kind of, they kind of take it and it ends up being becoming a victim mentality. And so that is my number one thing to caution parents about is using that phrase because kids really, they internalize it, they digest it very differently than how we intend for them to. Oh my goodness. That is just so good. I, you know, I think, I think that, and I, I see that, I see that in my daughter, my older one, you know, where I might have said something like that. And I can hear her right now saying that like, oh, well then that means that, you know, I'm not like, she almost makes it sound like it's something relating to her and almost like her self-worth almost, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, that it's not, it's not about that, you know? And so I think that that's a great reminder for, for everyone to, to kind of keep that in mind. We're, I'm curious when you were going through all of the struggles earlier on with the debt and all of that, were, did you have kids already or how old were your kids at the time that you started paying off all of the debt? My oldest was, let's see, my youngest was three. My oldest was eight. So they, my oldest very much remembers all of that time. I mean, we canceled cable, we sold our cars, we... <laughs> He remembers all of it. And he is so good with money now. It's amazing. So, you know, I think parents are afraid to expose their kids to struggles, but they're so resilient and they learn so much. And really, he came out much stronger from that situation. But they were both, I had one in daycare full time, Uh Uh and they were both on special diets. Uh-huh. So, and my, and I, as the teacher was the main breadwinner to begin. Uh-huh. So, I mean, oh it goodness. was, yeah, it was yeah. pretty incredible time. Wow. And so when they were, when they were going through that, cause they were three and eight, that was a number of years, about six years before you started your, your course. So uh-huh. what were you teaching them in between that time from the time that they were like eight to the time they were 14 about, about money? Was there anything in there that you might be able to share with the audience for, for kids that are a little bit younger than the ones that, you know, you, you serve in the course? Mm-hmm. Just a lot of it is just taking ownership for yourself and, mm-hmm. and, And, you know, not relying, like you said earlier, just not relying on other people or on the government. Like we have to take care of ourselves. There's no promise that social security is going to be there when the time comes. And so this is our responsibility and not just in the money area, but in all areas of life. I think that's the main core of what we teach them. And then from there branch out, you know, to the money lessons, but just, you know, and then I think the other big thing we taught them is saving because I really feel like that is, For us, at least at the time, that was our number one way to protect ourselves so that we didn't Mm -hmm. reach for another credit card again when we had a flat tire or the fridge broke or whatever. And so we started getting them, you know, exercising that muscle of saving and getting used to that for their future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Speaking of credit cards, I know you mentioned one of the tips was to give kids experience with cash. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on cash versus credit cards versus debit cards. When should kids have access to all of those things? (laughs) Ah, This is one of my favorite topics. I think they're ready for more virtual type money when they get to the point where they understand that okay, the number on that bank statement is the number of dollars that I have. Even though I can't see it and I can't touch it, it's mine. Because kids, you know, even four-year-olds are not ready to understand that. Mm -hmm. And so until that point, they really need to be handling cash and really need to see that exchange. Otherwise, it's a very, I don't know, surreal kind of Mm -hmm. thing that happens that Mm -hmm. they really don't understand. That makes sense. And then at what point do you think credit cards and debit cards should enter the picture in the teenage years or later? (laughs) Yeah, I would say once, um, once they have a job and they have kind of a constant flow of in and out, then I would start thinking about a checking account with a debit card. I have the question oftentimes about putting a kid on a credit card to help them build credit. And I always tell parents that this is a double edged sword. This is this is you have to read your own child to know that because what's going to happen is they're going to go out into the world with a great credit score. Well, some kids are going to be very responsible with that and some aren't. And so you need to know your child. You need to know, are they going to abuse that good credit score or are they going to respect it? And so if they're going to abuse it and get themselves into really big trouble, don't, don't give them that leg up. They'll have to earn it themselves later. That makes a lot of sense. It's all about knowing your kids and knowing what to share with them and where they are and knowing that different kids progress at different rates and will make decisions differently. And so I think that's really wise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I love that the earn the right to have credit. I mean, that's that's essentially what you're doing by mm-hmm. having them build up their own credit is by making them kind of earn the right to have that instead of putting them on one of your cards. And I like the idea of giving them cash when they're younger. And it's true. I think it's really I always tell my kids because I have anytime they get money for birthdays and whatever I tell them I take that and I put it in their bank account. But it's so hard for them. Like where? where Where's, and I've even shown them like on the computer, like there it is. See, see that number? That's all yours. But they can't, it's hard for them at, at seven years old to wrap mm-hmm. their head around that. What does that even mean? I don't know what a hundred dollars looks like or feels like, or what is even once you start adding even more zeros, what does that even look like? It's so kind of hard to really put it into perspective when it's just a number on the screen. So, so I love that. Okay. Well, we could spend hours talking with you about all of this and the kids stuff um, and money, um, but we're going to move on to the investing for good impact round. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around investing for good. So the first question is investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life? Our, the way we invest ourselves was getting rid of debt and obviously investing for our future, but our lives are different. I was able to pivot out of my career. We take our kids on great vacations. We work hard, but we play hard too. And we've, take, we've gone to some amazing places. And so I think for us, that is big, the number one, I don't know, benefit of yeah. managing our money as well as mm-hmm. vacations with our family. Yeah. What are some of your favorite places that you've been? A couple summers ago, we went to Hawaii, which was huge on my bucket list. We've been to the Bahamas. We went to skiing in Whistler last winter. So... Yeah, nice. some great places. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. If there's one thing that I feel like, you know, investing and this life passive income and all of that has provided for me and my family is options. It's just given me options, whether it's, you know, pivoting my career or being able to travel or, you know, being able to spend more time with them or go to the park or whatever it is. It's about having that flexibility and that op those options. And so it sounds like it's very much the same. Yeah. All right. Second question is investing in others. So what's one investment strategy or or some kind of investment hack or something you might be able to share with the audience that will help them catapult their investing journey? I would say, and it's kind of cliche, but pay myself first. You know, put a set amount that slides over to your savings account automatic every month. You don't have to think about it. You don't miss it after a while because it just slips away. And then later you can go use that money to invest or whatever it is, but put it on automatic, don't think about it every month and, and make sure it comes off the top so that you're not waiting to see if they're hoping, as I tell the kids, crossing your fingers and hoping that there's something left at the end of the month because <laughs> there won't be. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yep. You've got to be intentional about everything that you're doing or else it's not going to happen for sure. Love that. All right. Last one is around investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place? Well, first of all, touching the next generation, I want to change the talk around money for the whole next generation. I want, I mean, if all the whole next generation knew how to manage their money, can you imagine all the social programs that wouldn't be needed anymore, mm -hmm. right? And then they could be using their money to help people around the world. And that's really my vision is not only just taking care of themselves, but being equipped to, to you know, make huge changes around the world. Here in my home, because of our choices and our financial freedom, we make large investments every month or large donations every month, but we sit with the kids and we talk about like, what places do we want to donate our money? Where do we, you know, what purpose do we want to serve? It starts here, but I have a much bigger vision for the next generation. What a magnanimous vision to have to really change the world from, from the bottom up and to really change the next generation and to create this domino effect that's really going to impact everything and everyone. And so that is absolutely incredible. And I hope all of our listeners, those with kids and maybe even those without kids, <laughs> go and check out everything that you're doing. So Kelly, what's the best place that our listeners can go to learn more about all that you're doing? Um, all right. I have a website, thesmartmoneyacademy.com, all four words. Um, and then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram for the same handle, The Smart Money Academy. So um, that's pretty much where I'm most active, those two places. And um, yeah, hope you guys, I hope to see you there. <laughs> Kelly Calderon, creator of The Smart Money Academy. Kelly, thank you so much for being here and sharing all your wisdom with us today. You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com slash podcast and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.